Right. Now, most of you all know I'm the father of two boys. And, uh, and one of the fascinating things, hang on one second, I got to make one more adjustment here on the recording. Uh, one of the fascinating things about being a father. There we go. One of the fascinating things about being a father is, uh, especially when you have young children, is that you are the source of all wisdom and knowledge. And uh, I'm sure it's true if you have daughters, and I'm sure it's true for mothers too, but uh, that's one of the things that I, I cherish about being a father is that my children always came to me and asked me questions like, Dad, how does this work? And uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you, right? I remember as a child, I would ask my, my dad similar line of questioning. I would go to my dad for information. When I asked him how something worked, uh, and perhaps he didn't want to go into a great detail, or perhaps he thought it would be over my head as a young child, uh, he would answer by saying, with great difficulty. So I would say something like, Dad, how do cars work with great difficulty, he would say. <laughs> I accepted this as an answer for years. And that being said, I tried to resist that urge to give my, my kids the same answer when they were young, perhaps because I wanted them to look at me as the source of all wisdom and knowledge, right? Dad, where does rain come from, right? They, they, they asked me that. I really tried to explain it to them as best I could, as best I understood it. I, I could have said, well, someone in heaven is crying. I could have gone with that route, right? <laughs> No, I told him about condensation, evaporation, and all that. Or how about this one? Buckle up. Dad, where do babies come from? I got that one. I got that one. And I didn't sidestep the question. I jumped right in. I told him, this is going to sound weird, but hang on, okay? Uh, hear me out. And again, I've always tried to be direct and honest with them, uh, even, even if they ask adult questions. And, and then one day, uh, you answer their question, and you get another question back that you didn't expect to get. The question was something like, I'm just pulling something out of the air. Dad, why did the grass die? And I say, don't worry, son, it'll come back green again next season. After a few months, the weather will get warm again, and it'll be green again. And he replied with, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know, right? How do I know? How do I know? I am dad, <laughs> right? I just know these things, you know? Have I ever given you reason to doubt me? Have I ever misled you? Can you just trust me when I tell you something mundane like the grass will be green again. And let me tell you, the older they get, the more you hear the question, how do you know? How do you know, right? And like my dad used to give me the pat answer with great difficulty, I've come up with a pat answer of my own. Dad, how do you know? My answer, I just know, right? I just know. And I'll, I'll admit it's a tad circular, right? And, and we, we can be this way about our Bible too. We can be this way about our Bible. How do we know God is who he says he is, because the Bible tells us so. How do we know the Bible is trustworthy? Because God said it was, right? It's a tad circular. That's like my son telling me, I just know. I'm telling my son, I just know, right? I just know. It just is. But if you're like me, you're going to have moments. You're going to have moments where you say, is this all just a fairy tale? I don't know if you've ever arrived at that point in your faith, but if you haven't, you, one day you will. I'd be surprised if you haven't already. Uh, where you say, is this, is this all just made up? You know, is this really real? What if it is all just made up? Do, do I have to blindly trust that it's not? Is that, is that the best I can do? So, so this is where you come in. This is what I asked you to think about earlier in the week when I sent out the email. I asked you, why do you believe the Bible is true? Okay, we've staked, we've staked our whole lives on this, right? We come to church every week. We, we do the things we pray. And, and that's with the assumption that we believe the Bible to be true. Otherwise, I don't believe you'd be here. I don't believe you would. So why do you believe the Bible is true? It's a tough question, uh, but, I, but imagine, yourself, imagine yourself in a position where you're talking to a friend who isn't, isn't a believer, and the person asks you, why do you know the Bible is true? How do you know the Bible is true? What do you say? What do you say to them? And who wants to go first? And I will listen for people to speak up here or raise their hand online. If you have something, just chat and say, hey, I'd like to submit an answer or just enter it into the chat. Who wants to go first? Why do you believe the Bible is true? And we're going to sit here all night if we need to until we get an answer. I'm just kidding. Why do you believe the Bible is true? Who wants to be brave? Why would somebody die for a lie? Why would somebody die for a lie? Specific, who are you talking about when you say, why would somebody die? Like Christians in general, the apostles, the disciples. Why would somebody die for a lie? It does, see, it, does, it does seem a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Who would die for a lie? Someone else? Any other suggestions? Comments? So there's something, 
the prophecies, the prophecies in the Bible, where something is, is written some, in some thousands of years before the event happened, and it happened. That's, that's certainly something to catch our attention, isn't it? All right, someone else? If you read Isaiah 53, it's almost a, an eyewitness account. It reads as if it's an eyewitness account of the crucifixion itself. Again, prophecy, something about that should catch our attention and tell us this is worth paying attention to, right? All right, anyone else? Any other suggestions, comments? I'm looking online too. Anyone? Because God said so. Because God said so. Dad <laughs> said so. Because I said so. <laughs> Living witnesses. People who lived and breathed at the time of Jesus and then lived to testify. Is that what you mean? Okay, good. I like that. Good answer. Yes. Right. Which begs the question, is the Bible uh -huh. true? And many people have resolved, yeah. Yeah. They start connecting the other dots and realize, yeah, well, it's something that I have in my heart. It's something that I see in nature. It's the witness that other people have had. It's the prophecies. Start going, this is evidence that demands a verdict. It's right? a, yeah, oh, that's a good, yeah, good book. Evidence that demands a verdict. And, uh, and what Barry's saying here, for those of you online, is that it's, it starts to build upon itself. It's, it's, the, it's all the things added together. It's the eyewitnesses. It's the people that tried to debunk it through science that can't seem to. It still stands after, after uh, thousands of years. And, uh, and yet we see it, here we are. Okay, there must be something to that, right? There must be something to that. It's a difficult question. And, and here's, the, here's the tough part about great answers, by the way, great answers. And uh, hold on, I, got one, I did get one submission here online that just came through. And it says uh, general revelation, creation. What we talked about last week, we're going to get back to that this week. General revelation. You can just you can just look around, and this testifies more to the existence of God than than the trustworthiness of Scripture. But they do go hand in hand. We'll see that in a second here. The trustworthiness of Scripture itself. Uh, there's something in creation itself that testifies of the fact that there's something bigger out there. So, where do we look? It has to be somewhere. It has to be somewhere, and the Bible is a good place to start. Okay. But uh, here's the tough part about how we're going to uh, answer this question. It reminds me of a story that uh, Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, would tell. He said, uh, much like I was describing earlier with my sons, his son pointed at a car one day and said, look, Daddy, a stick. And he said to his son, oh, oh, honey, no, that's not a stick. That's an antenna. That's an antenna. And his son asked, what's an antenna? It's a stick. <laughs> he did <you> know? <laughs> He didn't, he didn't know how to answer what an antenna is or it does, right? The Bible, the question about the Bible is, is more complicated when you start digging into it, when you really start thinking about it. It's, it's, it's the same thing, okay? Why do you believe the Bible is true? And again, I wish there was a quick, easy, these are all good answers. But again, if, if you're a skeptic and, and you hear just ones and twos as you have these little answers, uh, it, it's not enough to satisfy your heart and mind all at once. But I think like what Barry was saying, the sum total of everything, the sum total of everything at that point makes you say, wait a minute, there's something here I need to consider. There's something I need to consider, okay? Uh, so how can we trust the Bible? How can we trust the Bible? And, and here's the best part about this. I, I love the fact that it's not an easy answer. I love the fact that it's not a pat answer. Because you know what, if it were a pat answer, an easy answer, oh, because look, there it is right there, that's how we know it's true. Just point to that. That'd be too easy, and I'm not sure we'd be any different. I'm not sure we'd be changed as a result of it. We see truth all the time and deny it. We're sinful people like that. But thank God that he's opened our eyes to something else, okay? And I think as a result of the digging, as a result of the digging into what Scripture is and what, 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 what holds it together, I think we're blessed by that. I think we reap the reward for that, and our faith is strengthened as a result of that. And I think it's in the digging, and I think that's, I think that's deliberately done that way by God, uh, to strengthen our faith. And I think as a result of this, again, we're only going to be covering, being able to Sorry, folks. And I, 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 we, we dropped out for a second. Hopefully we're, uh, we're back now. Okay. Got, thanks. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we got you back. Okay, here we go. But again, uh, 
I'm going to answer the question tonight about uh, the Bible itself and, and, and how, uh, how it came about. And uh, there we go. And uh, again, I, it's my hope is that it strengthens your faith and gives you a, a, a desire to want to look into it more. Okay. First of all, the Bible, it's, uh, its oldest writings are, are thousands of years old, thousands of years old. Uh, and how do we verify the legitimacy of something that is multiple thousands of years old? Okay. Fortunately, we don't have to go that far back. We don't have to go that far back. We only have to go a couple thousand years back, which is still far enough, right? Okay. Why is that? Because the, trustworthy, the trustworthiness of the Bible, the trustworthiness of the Bible stands and falls on the basis of one person, one person and one person alone. The Old and New Testament, the Old and New Testament falls or stands on the basis of Jesus Christ. Okay. So the first thing we have to do is determine whether or not we can trust Jesus. That's the first thing we have to understand. If we can, if we can trust Jesus, then we can accept the Bible wholesale. And I'll explain it to you why, okay? Uh, let me show you what I mean. Have you ever heard the, uh, of the, the uh, C.S. Lewis argument, Lord, liar, or lunatic proposition? Have y'all? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Lord, liar, or lunatic. Okay, a few of you have. Good. Uh, here's the basic premise of it. Any, any historian worth his salt or her salt, right, uh, will grant you that Jesus was a historical person, okay? It's hard to argue that he wasn't. Very hard to argue. And again, any historian will tell you that Jesus was a real person, okay? We're not talking about Santa Claus. There's plenty of documented history to allow that Jesus was a real person. He really existed and not a figment of our imagination. If you can believe based on historical data, that, that Julius Caesar, for instance, existed, then you should have no problem, no problem on the same basis acknowledging that Jesus Christ really existed, okay, by the same historical evidence. So given that, since Jesus is a real person, what claims did he make about himself? What claims did he make about himself? And again, you won't get much historical argument about the claims that he made about himself, all right? It's very well documented that he died, and that he was crucified. And the reason he was crucified by Rome, by, out of persuasion from the, from the Jewish leaders, was his claims over being God. Okay, he made claims of being God. Uh, Jesus claimed to be God, the Son of God. So, we have a decision to make, and, and C.S. Lewis, his argument goes like this. If Jesus claimed to be God, we have a trilemma. Not a dilemma, a trilemma. Okay, if Jesus claimed to be God, then either he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is who he says he is. He's either a, a liar, a lunatic, or he is who he says he is. Because think about it. This is an, it's an outrageous claim. It's an outrageous claim to, to be equal with God. Not, not just be equal, right? But, but very God of very God is what he's saying. If he made that claim, either he is who he says he is, or he's crazy and he's lying, okay? Or a combination therein. Now, the, the same could be true about anybody who makes the same claim. If I claim to be God, if I claim to be God, right? There's only three possible, there's only three logical possibilities. Either I'm lying or I'm deceiving myself, you know, and I really believe I am, but I'm not, or I am who I say I am. Spoiler alert, I'm not God, right? So, say what you want to about Jesus, but, but you can't just say, this is, what, this is where he was going with this, you can't just say, knowing that Jesus was a real historical person, you can't just say that he was a good teacher. You can't just say that he was a, a good moral example or a good religious leader because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. And if he's just a good person and he's claiming to be God, but he's really not, okay, then there's, there's something wrong with his character, right? Uh, so what I want to do now is uh, I, I want to just hold that intention for a minute there, okay? Either he is who he says he was, which is very God of very God, or he's a madman or a liar. It's one extreme or the other, but we can't say he exists somewhere in the middle. Okay, now for a moment, let's proceed. Let's proceed with the assumption that he is who he says he is. Let's just proceed with that assumption for a moment, okay? We'll just stipulate that. We're trying to answer whether or not we can trust the Bible, whether or not it's true. And if Jesus can be trusted, if Jesus can be trusted, which we're stipulating for the moment, that he's not a lunatic or a liar, right? Uh, then we can trust what he has to say about the Bible, okay? And yes, they are these are necessarily dependent on each other. 
and this is not unusual. We do this all the time. For, for example, in any given scenario, in any relationship you're in, how you tell me how is trust determined? How do you, how do you trust somebody? How do I know that I can trust Todd here? How do I, how can I? By his reputation or by knowing him a long time. Okay, so if I've known Todd for a while, and I know he says a lot of things to me, and every time he consistently he says something that's true, I'm going with true, okay? <laughs> Could have said false there, but I'm going with true. No, going with true. If repeatedly in my interactions with Todd, I see that what he's telling me is true, over time, I can trust him. And again, it starts to get a little circular at this point. How do I know I can trust what Todd says? Because Todd's a trustworthy guy. How do I know Todd's a trustworthy guy? Because the things he says are true, right? This is how we determine trust. This is how we determine trust, right? You're going to see that it works the same for Jesus in the Bible. Uh, they vouch for one another. They vouch for one another. And in the process, you find them both to be trustworthy. Let me, let me start walking through this for you, okay? Now, do you remember that we talked about this a little bit ago? Do you remember the difference between general and special revelation? We talked about this last week. Do you remember the difference? Can someone tell me the difference between general and special revelation real quick? What's general revelation? Nature, okay? And this is something that everyone sees. You don't have to, it doesn't, it doesn't take a, a, a special revelation from God, right? To be able to appreciate a sunset and know that there must be a God. Or, 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 or the way the human body works, like just the way that I don't even have to think about the fact that I can, I can move my hands and somehow things are firing off away inside me and, and my hand is moving. That, that doesn't just happen by accident, right? That, that has to be something that, that testifies to the fact, wow, that testifies to the fact that there is a God. That's general revelation. <laughs> There's cicadas or something. <laughs> that, you see a cicada and you think, General revelation. There has to be a God with a sense of humor that would make those, right? Okay, what's special revelation? What would we call special revelation? What is... Not everyone. Right, it's not revealed. Can you get... Creation is revealed to everyone. Special revelation is not. It's special, right? We believe, we believe the Bible came by way of special revelation okay it's so it's not only special in the sense that not everyone has it not everyone has the bible okay so in that regard it's it's, it's special but uh but everyone can uh, can appreciate the, the miracle of the sunset but but the bible is special in the way that that it was written the bible is special in the way that it was written we as christians believe that god used special people on special occasions to write down the words that we consider to be his words and the people that he used to write down those words were, by and large, the prophets in the Old Testament, okay, the prophets in the Old Testament, and the apostles in the New Testament. Prophets in the Old, apostles in the New. Now, not just anyone could claim to be a prophet or apostle. You had to be able to validate your calling and essentially prove your calling that you are who you say you were, all right? God himself uh, had to call you, or if you were an apostle, Jesus Christ had to call you into service. Okay, and who Jesus Christ, of course, is God. You had to be called by God, and you had to be able to detail the account in which you were called. So, if you're a prophet or an apostle, you were considered to be the very mouthpiece of God. You spoke on behalf of God. In the Old Testament, you would say, Thus saith the Lord. In the New Testament, the apostles were directly commissioned by Christ, and he told them in Luke, this is Luke 10 16, it says this The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now, a lot of people believe that there were only 12 apostles. That's not the case. He granted apostolic authority, we call it, uh, to numerous people. There are numerous people that went out and carried his name, and the message they delivered wasn't considered almost as good as if Jesus was saying it. It was considered as good as if Jesus himself was saying it, equal with what Jesus said, Okay. Now, and, and that was true of the role of any apostle, which you may or may not realize that the role of apostle, the word apostle wasn't invented by Jesus. There were all kinds of people with apostolic authority in kingdoms far and wide. Thank you, Carr, for, I love the loud cars that they're, they're like. <laughs> but again, the office of apostle existed in many ancient contexts where a king would send out an apostle and that apostle would carry the full weight of the authority of the king. So if that apostle was there on behalf of the king, he spoke with the authority of the king, okay? The one who hears you. This is why Jesus, when he would grant apostolic authority 
to anyone in, uh, that he, he, he did so, they would say the power of, by the power of who he is, the one who hears you hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me, right? In other words, the power of who I am, by the power of who I am, I am granting, granting you the authority to speak on my behalf as if I were there in person, okay? That's what an apostle is. So with that, if we're going to put together a Bible, we're going to put together a Bible, and we're going to say that uh, these are God's words. These are God's words. What are we going to do? Are, are we going to sit out inside? Let, let's just find all the good writings that make us feel good and, and try and put them in one volume. Is that how we do it? Probably not a good idea, right? We want to collect uh, all those writings from the people that were commissioned to do so, that were commissioned to be the mouthpiece of God which were the prophets and the apostles. We're going to put together a, a book and call it God's Word. We want to find the writings of the prophets and the apostles, right? Pro pro prophets and the apostles, and then call it God's Word. Now, it's very important to understand that if you want to make a case for the Bible, as in what makes the Bible so special, what makes the Bible more special than any other book, the first thing you have to understand is that the foundation of the Bible was built upon the words of the prophets and the apostles, those commissioned immediately and directly by God or Jesus himself. No one else, okay? Now, does everyone get that much so far? We're gonna, if we're gonna write something and call it the word of God, it has to be by those who are commissioned directly and immediately by God himself, okay? Understood so far? Any questions on that much so far? We good? Okay, it's important that we understand that. So this begs the question, does that mean does that mean that every book of the Bible is written by either a prophet or an apostle? What is the answer to that question? No. Oh, my goodness. Scandal already, right? Was every book in the Old Testament, let's start with the Old Testament. Was every book in the Old Testament written by a prophet? The quick answer to that is I don't know, <laughs> right? Because there are certain books of the Old Testament that don't have authorship ascribed to them. Right? They're anonymous, uh, like the books of uh, Judges, Ruth. Arguably, First and Second Samuel, uh, we're not certain they were written by prophets. So how do we know we can trust them, right? How do we know we can trust them? Uh, we could go about this one of two ways. We could do all kinds of research and dig up all kinds of data and try and find and ascribe authorship to every single book and then say, okay, finally, we figured it out. Or, or we can use deduction. We can use a little bit of a deduction. Here's what I mean by that. Remember I said ago, what I said a moment ago about trusting Jesus. I said, at least for the moment, at least for the moment, we're going to proceed with the stipulation that Jesus is who he says he is, all right? He's not a liar or a lunatic. So for the moment, we're going to say he is who he says he is. So with that, what did Jesus say about the books in the Old Testament, okay? What did Jesus say about the books in the Old Testament? There are 39 books in the Old Testament, and of those 39, Jesus quoted from, any guesses? Isaiah, certainly. Anyone else? How many, how many of those books did he quote from? 39? Uh, huh? 39? Not quite. Closer. Jesus himself quoted from 24 of the 39 books of the Old Testament. Thank you. Now, if those books were fraudulent, right, it wouldn't make sense that Jesus would quote them. So we can trust 24 of 39 books in the Old Testament. So what about the other 15 books? Did I do my math right? Yeah. Can we trust those? Consider this, okay? As it pertains to the books in the New Testament, the, the authorship of those books is a little bit more verifiable than those of the old. So Jesus quoted from 24 to 39. But if you consider the, 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 uh, the, the New Testament as a whole, 34 books of the 39 in the Old Testament were quoted in the New, Okay. So it's starting to point all to the new. So if everything in the New Testament, if that's, if that's true and verifiable and good, and we can say those are God's words, 34 of the Old Testament books are quoted in the New Testament. 34. 34 of the old quoted in the new. That leaves five books in the Old Testament that aren't quoted somewhere in the new. Okay, those are uh, Ezra. So you can throw these books away out of your Bible. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. Don't do that. Please don't. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those five books are quoted nowhere in the New Testament. Now, even though those books, those five books weren't qu quoted in the New Testament, those books were part of larger collections 
that were quoted in the New, New Testament. So, so they get in by sort of association in a sense, because it was, it was seldom that you would just say, find the book of 2 Samuel around. It was always bound usually with something else, okay? So generally speaking, it was bound with some of these other books that you would also be able to say, okay, verifiable by association, but, okay, in spite of that, in spite of that, uh, here's the biggest thing. Um, it's generally accepted that, uh, by historical scholars that Jesus himself, Jesus himself, read from the Old Testament, the same Old Testament that we have now in our Bibles, exactly with all the same number of books, right? So here's the, the Son of God, the man who, who claimed to be God, read from the Scriptures. That would have been a great opportunity to say, this is the Word of God, except for Ezra, or something like that, right? He didn't. He accepted it as as a, as, a, uh, as, a, as a book of God's word that included all the same books in the Old Testament that we have today, okay? In the Protestant Bible, I should, I should say. Christ, through Christ, we can comfortably call the Old Testament uh, valid by way of the word of Christ again, okay? Since Christ didn't say this is, this is no good, we can therefore consider it credible, all right? Make sense so far? It's all pointing back to the New Testament so far. Here we go. So really, again, the spotlight moves to the New Testament. And, and if we as Christians still point to the New Testament and even use the New Testament to validate the Old Testament, how do we know we got the right books in the New Testament? That's the next question. How do we know we got the right books in the New Testament? We, we have to be doubly sure that the New Testament is valid. First of all, back to our original question of Revelation. Were all the books in the New Testament written by an apostle? Yes or no? Let me help you out. No, no. Oh no, the cracks again. Here we go. Remember, we consider apostles to be the mouthpiece of God, right? Their words are considered on equal footing, the very words of Jesus himself. Let's start from the top. Matthew. Was Matthew an apostle? Yes. Yes, he was. Okay, let's keep going. Mark, was he an apostle? No, <laughs> he was not. <laughs> no. Mark, yeah, no, Matthew. Mark, he's not. Now, there's a, there's a well-known comedian who imagines a, a documentary where a group of individuals were tasked to come up with a, the two-letter abbreviation of every state in the United States. The task, the task force gathers together, and they start. Okay, here we go, Alabama. How about AL? All right. This is going to be easy, they said. This is going to be easy. And then the comedian distracts the listener for a moment to get more details, to give more details on this fictional documentary. And then uh, he imagines the same, come on, let's get back to work, everyone. Let's get back to work. Next state, Alaska. Everybody cool with AL? <laughs> it's the same as Alabama, you see. That's why, <laughs> that's why I got tripped up. But anyway, right out of the gate, tripped right out of the gate. It was, was the point of that. How did Mark, Matthew, Mark, oh, we got to stop right there. Not an apostle. Not, not an apostle, right? Before we have to answer that, though, we have to ask the same thing about Luke. Luke wasn't an apostle either. And Luke wrote Luke and Acts. So we're five books into the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're five books in, and three of them haven't been written by an apostle. What are we to do? Someone tell me. No, I'll tell you. Don't worry. I, I got this. I got this. Mark, though he wasn't an apostle, right, was the right-hand man of? Well, Jesus, good answer. Me too. No, Peter. Peter. Mark was the right-hand man of Peter. And Luke was the right-hand man of Paul. Okay? So, for Peter, Peter passed on reports of the words that, uh, and deeds that Jesus did uh, to his attendant and writer, Mark. So that's why the, the, the book of Mark passes, uh, has mustered so far as apostolic authority is concerned. So he was an apostle, but there's really only one half degree of separation from the, from the, the, the apostle himself between uh, Mark and Peter. And again, you can say the same thing about Luke and Acts, uh, both written by Luke, who is the right-hand man of Paul, Paul the apostle. So Luke was Paul's companion, and we even have Paul mentioning him in uh, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Philemon. And since Luke traveled with Paul, you know, this gospel was received by the church as having apostolic authority from Paul. Okay, so it was generally accepted that, yes, it was written by Luke, but again, with apostolic authority vouched for by, by Paul, okay? So what about after Acts? Then we get to the Pauline epistles, right? Those are written by Paul, apostle, right? He identifies himself in every letter, so we're, we're good there. 
And that takes through most of the New Testament until we get to the book of Hebrews. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Don't know. Don't know. We don't know. Most church historians will say, just like Neil did, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we're not for sure who to ascribe the authorship of Hebrews to. So, so let's put, put a question mark on that one for right now. Question mark on right now. Maybe, maybe that's a book that shouldn't have made it in, right? Well, hold on. Don't, don't jump to conclusions yet. In terms of its apostolic authority in the, the books in the New Testament, that, that just leaves James and Jude now. James and Jude and Hebrews. James and Jude. Though James and Jude were not one of the original 12, they were what? Brothers of Jesus. <laughs> they were brothers of Jesus himself. So in terms of, no, they weren't one of the 12, but in terms of apostolic authority, right? Uh, they, they talked and walked with Jesus, which is a fair statement as they, they, you know, again, both being brothers of Jesus, they were commissioned by Jesus and walked with him and could testify with him in person. I, I, like my, 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 me testifying about my, the actions of my brother. I could do that with authority, right? Say, so could uh, Jude and James, all right? So now let's go back to Hebrews. Did that one get in by mistake? Or for that matter, Hebrews and the other five books of the Old Testament that, that we can't verify their authorship. Uh, what, what, if, what if you can accept the others, but have a problem with just this handful of books that in your estimation just don't cut it in terms of historical credibility like the others? What do we do then? What do we do now? You know what I say? So what? <laughs> so what? You know why I can say that? This is, this is what I love about the Bible. This is what I love about the Bible. There's not a single doctrine of the Christian faith that I would ever teach on that hinges on only one single book of the Bible. There, there's an amazing amount of, of webbing that goes throughout the entire, that entire Bible that interties so much of it and how tightly bound together it is that, that we can read one section of Scripture and affirm it with another. There's no book in Scripture, there's no passage in Scripture that we can't somehow, some way, affirm it and validate it with, with any of those other books of the, of the Bible. So, so even if we were to throw out Hebrews, even if we were to say, okay, let's just get rid of Hebrews, right? It wouldn't change a thing. It wouldn't change a thing. The doctrines of the Christian faith would remain the same. It wouldn't change a thing because there's, there's so much repetition throughout the Bible and all his wisdom God put his scripture together in such a way where it all works cohesively together, tightly, whereby nothing or stands or, stands or falls on its own. It's all, it's all held up by the books and verses around it. And, and, and it's what gives the Bible such cred credibility, and, and it's what it sets it apart from every other holy. I challenge you to, you know, don't look, I was going to challenge you to read the other holy books. Don't do that. Don't even do that. <laughs> but I challenge you, again, insofar as, as historical credibility goes and how they're put together, you put, you put, the Bible up against, say, the Book of Mormon. There's no comparison. The Book of Mormon was written by Joseph Smith, end of story. The, the authorship of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, were written by men of different ages and times and, and places, and it all comes together tightly and doesn't contradict each other. It doesn't testify against each other. It all supports itself, okay? Again, this is what sets it apart. Numerous sources that come together and affirm one thing, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. You see how we've circled back now? At first we were saying, how can we trust Jesus who he says he is? Well, the Bible tells us so. Well, the complexity of the Bible, the nature in which it's weaved together, and it testifies to the fact that Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is not a lunatic. There's something special about Jesus. And the, the, the complexity with which this Bible's weaved together testify, <coughs> excuse me, testifies to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. All right? So again, circling back, if the Bible is built on, on uh, the writings of the prophets and the apostles, uh, who was it? Here's the second question. Who was it that actually decided that we got all the right books? Right? And when did that happen? When Jesus died and, and he rose and, and, uh, and, uh, and ascended, he didn't leave a copy of the Bible with the disciples. He didn't say, here you go, I'm, I'm out of here now. There's your Bible, right? So the Bible, as we know, the 27 books of the New Testament and the 39 books of the Old, when were those put together? Does anyone know? When were those assembled as one Bible? Near, yeah, about 400 AD. Around 400 AD, the 397, okay? It was at the councils of Carthage 
and hippo some 300 years uh is that no 400 years no excuse me 300 years after many of them were written okay 300 years after many of them were written uh does that bother you for instance if you're if you're having a they weren't in a hurry to put it together right see does that bother you at all doesn't bother you because again that's going to be a main point that people will will uh will attack you on some of it got lost right but it, they can still be dated back to uh to its original time how would they put it all together so it didn't conflict right, right? again it, it's the sign of something beyond mere mortals, right? Um, it's what? They were led by the Holy Spirit to put it together, right? All right? Um, it's a fair question to me. I feel like whenever someone raises that objection, it seems like it's a fair question. But to, to say, first of all, when someone says, how can you be so sure of this Bible that wasn't even put together for the first three, 400 years of its existence? That is not an accurate statement. That's not an accurate statement. Even though the Bible was canonized or put together around the year 400, that's not to say we didn't have scripture, right? That's not to say we didn't have scripture. Once uh, the, the New Testament writings were put from pen to paper, they immediately became canonized, or, or better stated, they were immediately accepted as authoritative and immediately recognized as scripture. Why? Because Again, it came from the mouth of a prophet or an apostle, those commissioned directly by Christ to speak the words of God. So in some of the earliest uh, church historical writings, as early as 90 AD, many of what we would, many, much of what we would call the New Testament books were recognized and referred to as scripture as early as 90 AD. So at this point, we're not even 50 years out, basically, or, you know, less than 100, we'll say. Uh, we had New Testament scripture. In fact, in this is 2 Peter, listen to this, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. This is a great proof text. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, it says this, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is the Apostle Peter talking. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, in all Paul's letters, when he speaks in them in these matters. These are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Okay, do you hear what Peter is saying here? Uh, again, Second Peter, this is written by the Apostle Peter, which was probably around the year 65 AD now. And if not, it couldn't have been much past that because Peter died in 67, 67 AD. So even if this letter was written in 67, that means the early church, the early church as early as 67, had these verses that Peter suggests are letters and scriptures. They're scriptures. Peter acknowledges them as scriptures. I've, I've stated uh, this to you before, uh, to a number of you before, but uh, my wife tends to be a late adopter of technology, all right? She's come a long way. She's come a long way, but she tells me all the time, I don't like change, is what she tells me. I don't like change. She will adopt change if she has to and if it's for good, uh, but she doesn't, she doesn't have to like it. She doesn't like it, right? As a matter of fact, my, my son thinks it's hilarious whenever he updates her computer and uh, she gets mad at him. She's like, but you got to be current, mom. You got to be, it's like, don't change my computer, right? Text messaging. Text messaging is so ubiquitous now. Uh, everybody does it. It took my wife some time to get on board though. But because texting can be so choppy and unclear, my wife still does that to this day. If I'm sending a text message and she's not quite clear of what I'm stating, what does she do? I see my phone light up. Ah, oh, she's going to call me because you know what's better than, than texting? Talking. <laughs> Talking in real time. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to find out exactly what you mean by what you're saying. Well, same thing kind of happened in the way of the church, in church councils. Uh, the first three or 400 years of the Christian history, communication was slow. It was choppy. It was in numerous languages, right? So every so often in, in the early life of the church, the church would decide, much like Tracy, you know what? It's time, it's time to pick up the phone. <laughs> it's time to pick up the phone, so to speak, and speak in real time. They would gather, often to correct, they would gather together, bring these church councils together, 
to, to correct bad language or, or heresies or uh, anything that was beginning to circulate that was inconsistent with the scriptures they had. Okay? So at this point in church history, yes, they had scriptures. They were as authoritative as the Bibles that you and I have. But what they had to make clear was that these scriptures, uh, which weren't bound together in the nice leather Bibles that we have or in the nice apps that we have in our, our phones, right? These scriptures were fixed and they hadn't established that yet, okay? These scriptures don't, they were saying these, these scriptures don't evolve. These scriptures don't change over time. These are the ones that are, are fixed. And now it wasn't until about 400 where they said, Let's just make sure we say it now for all time before any other bad things are communicated around. This is it. This is it. No one try to add to it. No one try and take away from it. These books already have authority. It's not that these church fathers got together and said, let's make a, you know, like when you make, used to make a mixtape back in the day, let's just pick our favorite songs. Let's just pick our favorite books of the Bible and, and put them together. No, they didn't say, Hey, these books have authority because I say so. They say, these books have authority already. They acknowledge the authority that these books already had and they canonize and they say, this is it. This is the final word. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Okay. So it's not that they suddenly had authority in the year 400. They already had authority and they acknowledge it as a church worldwide. This is it. This is it. Okay. Now let's wrap this up here. Here's what all this points to. Here's what I was Our Bible was put together with tremendous intentionality. There, there was a standard, a criteria that had to, to be met in order to call it the Bible. In other words, not just anyone, not just anyone could write some stuff and petition a board of directors and include their writings in the Bible. Couldn't do that. Can't do that. We can confidently say that the writings in the Bible are those writings of Jesus, that the historical person of Jesus would affirm and endorse as his own. Now, where does this take us? This takes us back to the beginning where we ask, can we trust Jesus? Can we trust Jesus? I, I think we can make an easy argument that the Bible passes historical scrutiny and affirms the teaching of Jesus, all of it, all of it. Now we're back to where we started. Can we trust Jesus? And this is once again, where I'd take you back to the Bible. Not too long ago, I think it was last year when we did a survey of the Old Testament. Going through the Old Testament, that's one of my favorite things to do. I love doing it. I love doing it because when you read the Old Testament, and I don't just mean the prophecies. I don't just mean the prophecies. I mean, I mean all of it. Every psalm, every narrative, every poem and song, all of it points to the work of Jesus. All of it. And if you start looking at the details and you start seeing that the Old Testament is telling the story of, of Jesus thousands of years before his arrival. And when you see how often this happens all throughout the Old Testament, and again, not just in the prophecies, you start to say, how in the world could this have possibly happened? How could this have possibly happened? If someone set out to deceive the world and create a religion, how on earth would you do this? And how on earth would you get people centuries after you to participate in it so that they could carry on and carry out this diabolical lie, right? How is the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? A man rejected by his brothers, left for dead, and then was then raised to the most powerful place in the kingdom and saved by the very ones who betrayed him. That's the story of Joseph, but it's also the story of Jesus. That description I gave you, you could say that's the story of Joseph or Jesus. Joseph's story was only Jesus' story told thousands of years before, right? Same thing with Job and Abraham and Noah and Moses, the judges and David. Look, look at all the details of their stories. Look at all the details of the stories and look how they point us to Jesus and how they tell the same story about Jesus. How does that happen? How does that happen if not for something divine, something miraculous, right? The word of God validates Christ, and Christ validates the Word of God. And because of that, because of that, you and I can rest assured and call the, the Bible itself trustworthy. All right, let's, uh, let's stop there, and let's see if you have any questions. Any questions or comments? Neil, I see that hand behind this blinding light. Yeah. Right. 
still on board with ESG in particular. And because um, um, sometimes I read that, and it's still hard to read. It's just you know, in the Old Testament, it's like there's a story, these people, and so and so says so and so. Your servant says this, and like, wait a minute, your servant? Oh, he's talking about himself. And then mm -hmm. I like to switch over to God's word translation. Be like, who are all these people? And who's talking to what? And what's really happening? Yeah. Because even the ESV seems kind of confusing. That's a good question. Uh, Neil's question is. Uh, how, what basically centers around translation? Why would we use the ESV? Which we don't. We don't exclusively say you know you must use the ESV. Here's the here's the difficult thing about translations, is that uh, language is constantly, uh, for better or worse, evolving, and the same th same words that we would use, for instance, in King James time, are not. For instance, I could tell you some words right now, and if my son wasn't here, I could tell you that were are considered taboo now. We wouldn't dare say them, uh, uh, you know, out loud. Like the word for donkey, right? For, we don't say that. Or the, or the word for, uh, even sometimes the, the word for the way we refer to, to hell. The, the way we refer to those things, language evolves a little bit. So that's one factor, okay? So that when we retranslate something, uh, we have to take into account what people understand to be the meaning today. But second of all, and, this, and I can tell you this right now because right now I'm going through, uh, I'm studying uh, Greek with David Filson, and that is no picnic, <laughs> let me tell you right now. And again, the way that the Greek language speaks and the way that the English language speaks are very different. They're very different. And there's sometimes, there's some things that, that you can say in Greek that there's just not quite an equivalent in, in, uh, in English. And so you do the best you can. And sometimes, yeah, there's a little bit difference of opinion, but I'd say the same thing about the translations as I would about the books that were uh, not ascribed definitive authorship is that any translation that we do, whether it's the message or the NIV or the ESV, there's nothing in there that is so rattling, so jarring, so different that it somehow changes our, our theology or changes our orthodoxy. It might change a little bit how we understand it a little bit. But again, I think, and I think it goes back to the beginning. God in his, his wisdom could have said, you know what, I'm going to give you one language and here it is so everyone understands it. But instead, what did he do? He made it a little bit difficult for us. And so I think the, the, the idea is we still got to dig a little bit. Does that mean everyone needs to study Greek? Does that mean everyone needs to study Hebrew? No, no, of course not. But there is something to be said for looking at the different translations, looking through them and seeing what the consensus is. Read all the English translations you can, and you will not be disappointed in that process. You will not come away worse in that process. And I think God in all his wisdom did it that way on purpose. And I, and I think We'll, there's going to be a certain amount of mystery that we live with down here. And when we get up to heaven one day, we're going to be like, oh, who's that? I'm not even close, right? So hope that answers your question. Does that help? Yeah. Anyone else? Someone else? You say so many of the stories in the Bible are, in the Bible are like that. It's like, you know, God does something so different than we would have done it. That's right. You know I mean? and it is it's an amazing story. It really is. I, I, I can't get over it. Every time, again, I think we've done, new, I've been teaching this version, a uh, version of this class for, I don't know, almost 10 years now. And we've gone through the, the Old Testament sort of a survey. We've done that at least twice. And every time, every time, I'm, I'm just blown away because there's things that I, I didn't catch the first 10 times I read it that's there, that it still points us to Jesus. And I can't get over that. How many times that happens? And when you see it once, okay, coincidence. When you see it twice, well, okay, wait, wait that's something to be catching your, t three times, four times, five times, every single book of the Old Testament, all 39 books of the Old Testament that somehow, some way, and if we wanted to, we could do this, and maybe we will, that we could go through every book of the Bible and show us how it points to Jesus and how that storyline is there. I'm like, and when you see it, I'm like, huh? How do you miss this? <laughs> How do people not see this? Who, who could make this up? And again, it only testifies not only to the trustworthiness of the Bible itself, but to Jesus, Jesus himself. He's the one that it all points to. Something special there. Has to be, has to be. Someone else? Anyone else? All right. Oh yes, go ahead. Uh, yes. Uh, Janine said, Janine, right? You get that right? She said that sometimes that we, we don't understand these things right away, but it's all in God's timing that he does have us understand at some point. I think there's something beautiful about that too, because again, we could have been 
okay, especially us as good Presbyterians who believe that we are we're God's chosen, we're, we're his elect, right? Which means our, our destiny is secured. If he wanted to, we could have come out of the womb knowing everything. We could have come out of the womb enlightened. But did he do that? No, he did not. He still, again, he left us in a position where we have to come across these things, eventually uncover them, whether it's through digging or through whatever. God, you know, bring us to a point in life where we do realize those things. And again, that just speaks to his wisdom that he could have done this any number of ways, but this is how he chose to do it. Not easy. I heard someone say today, quoted today, that God guarantees the removal of sin from everyone who believes in him, but he does not guarantee the removal of struggle. Struggle he guarantees the presence of it. And again, you can look at this as struggle because he could have made this so much easier on us, right? But instead, there's something to be gained in the struggle. There's something to be gained in the hardship. And it's never, it's never for nothing. It's always for something and it's always in his perfect timing. Great comment. Anyone else? Hey, folks online, don't be afraid to send me a chat or something like that. I'm happy to share what your, your thoughts are too, okay? Man, we got to do something about the lighting out here. You should see how it looks. It's kind of bright right here. Not so much right here. <laughs> All right. Let's put a pin in that and uh, let's call it an evening. And again, thank you all for joining us uh, tonight. And thank you all for joining me online. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, great. Wow. I appreciate that. That's so kind of you all. Okay. Love you all. And uh, come again next week. Oh, next week. You don't know the question for next week, do you? Not yet. I'll send it out. I'll give you some time to think about it. But uh, I'll give you a hint. It has, to do, it has to do with something we talked about tonight. Again, we, we talked about the apostleship of Peter. And we talked about the apostleship of Paul. Why do we believe Paul was an apostle? He did not walk and talk and was not commissioned in the same way that Peter was. Peter was commissioned directly and in person by, by Jesus. Can we say the same thing about Paul? Don't answer that. Save that for next week, okay? We'll talk about that next week. The apostleship of the apostle Paul. All right. Take care, you all. <laughs>